Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I have to apologize. Uh, I'm going to talk about something that you probably don't want to hear about. I really am sorry because I figured you're already dreading that you're going to have to talk about it today. Some of you anyway, maybe not all of you. And that's Taylor Swift. I promise I have a reason, all right? I know, I already hear the groans. I know, she's taken over the world. She seems to be everywhere. Now she's, you know, we're talking about her in church, of all places. But she seems to be everywhere, even in my news feed. And that is how I found out something that is very relevant for our sermon for today. And that is that Taylor supposedly brought a hand fan to the Grammys with the purpose of covering her mouth so that the paparazzi, the press, influencers couldn't read her lips and make a big story out of everything and anything that she said. So they couldn't gossip about her private conversations. But that got me thinking, aren't there times you'd like to be a fly on the wall and hear what people talk about? What conversations would you like to have been a part of? What conversations involving famous people would interest you? Well, in today's gospel reading from Mark, Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus. And I want to know, what were they talking about? Maybe you don't, I want to know. What were they talking about? Mark doesn't tell us. He doesn't say anything about what they talked about. Matthew doesn't tell us. But Luke does. So although we're in Mark, I'm preaching from Luke this morning. Because apparently, God wanted us to know what Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking about. Because Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us. And so in chapter 9 of his gospel, there's some things that happen right before the transfiguration. Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. Jesus talks about what that means, right? What does that mean, that I am the Christ? And what do you think he talks about? He talks about the cross. He talks about his death. He talks about his suffering, death, and resurrection. He foretells it. And then he calls the disciples to take up their cross and follow him. Because that's what's going to, what it's going to be. That's what Christ has come here to do. To suffer and die and rise again on our behalf. So right before the transfiguration, we hear about taking up the cross. Now the cross is always in view throughout the church year. But especially in Lent. Which is coming on Wednesday. And the season of Lent is somber, it's penitential, dark maybe we would say even. And as Lent advances, tensions mount. As Lent advances, Christ gets closer to the cross. As the Lord's hour draws nearer, things grow darker until the blackness of Good Friday, right? But right before Lent begins, we have the transfiguration. We hear about our Lord's light. We have his light. 
pure, glorious, bright, spectacular light. And you didn't hear Luke's account of this, so I'd like to read it to you if that's okay. And he describes it this way. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of. I thought somebody would say it. His departure. Which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, I'm sorry. I hyped up this discussion only for you to hear that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus talked about Christ's departure. Is Jesus leaving? That's what it sounds like when I think of departure, right? I just got back from St. Louis, so I'm thinking of, you know, at the gate and by. Is this all, this departure, is this all just a precursor pointing to and culminating in Christ's agony and bloody sweat, his cross and passion, his death and burial? Yes, it is in a sense. But we have all this light, all this glory, and the discussion now is on Jesus' departure. So here's the thing. When I hear departure, whether he's headed for the cross, whether he's headed for heaven, whatever we're thinking of, when we hear about departure, it sounds like Jesus is going somewhere that you and I cannot go. That we're left behind without him. And I'm telling you, that thought makes me really sad. Terrified. Even. I don't know about you. Terrified. That Jesus is going away. The good news is, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that's not the word that the original Greek uses. Okay? So departure. It's all filled with meaning. And you're like, get there. Come on. Anticipation. Right? The word translated as departure is more in line with an event like the transfiguration, I think. Let me read it to you. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of. I know you're waiting for it. His exodus. Which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. There is a loaded word. Exodus. Exodus. Exodus is a definitive moment of salvation in history. There is so much behind that word. You remember the narrative about the Exodus, right? Yahweh raised up Moses. But for what purpose? What was the purpose of the Exodus? It was to bring God's people out of slavery. Right. The exodus wasn't just for Moses as an individual. It was for God's people. You probably thought that the exodus was just an Old Testament event. It's not. An even greater exodus comes for us. Under Christ. Is the exodus just about Christ's exodus? Yes, of course, because without his exodus, we have nothing. But still, it is as is if it were Moses. He will lead the exodus, but his exodus too will be for all of God's people. His exodus is your exodus. You are part of the exodus story. You can plop yourself right in there. 
because that's what it is. Your exodus is his exodus. And guess what? It's happening now. It's not a past event. It is here now. God is working that now. There's different ways to break up the book of Exodus. Uh, Concordia Seminary professor, former Concordia Seminary professor and LCMS pastor, uh, Reed Lessing, breaks down the divine benefits of what God did in the Exodus. And he kind of gives us three different things that happen. Rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, gives his people his word, and then also gives people his presence in the tabernacle. And in Christ, we have similar benefits, right? Christ rescues us from slavery. Christ brings us God's word. He dwells with us in his full presence as Emmanuel, God with us. And so there's similar benefits. The benefits are very similar. So what about rescue? Let's talk about rescue. Let's get there first. So you remember the narrative in the Old Testament. Yahweh demonstrates his power, his almighty power time and again through plagues. And the whole reason behind those plagues, and they were very specific, was to demonstrate that the gods of Egypt were nothing. So they're very intentional. Yet, despite turning water into blood, despite frogs, despite gnats, despite flies, despite the, the death of livestock, boils, oh boy, hail, locusts, and darkness, Pharaoh would not, would not let God's people go. Now, these plagues did not affect those in Israel in the land of Goshen, but for the last plague, God provided specific instructions so that even death would pass over his people. And you remember the narrative. God promised that by the blood of a lamb, the angel of death would pass over those houses that had placed the blood of the, you know, they eat the lamb, they place the blood on the doorpost and the lentil of, of where they're staying. And the angel of death would pass over them. And after the ten plagues, Pharaoh finally relents. Because Pharaoh himself was seen as a deity. Well, how much of a deity are you if you don't have any power over death, of the death of your firstborn? Likewise, you have a greater Passover, right? You don't have a lamb slain for you. You have the lamb of God slain for you. The spotless lamb of God whose blood covers your sins. And through him, your physical death will be ended and spiritual death will pass over you. Never touch those with faith. Through him, you have passed through death into life. Through him, you are, and this isn't a real word. It's Reed Lessing's word, but I love it. You are exodized. Microsoft Word does not like that word. You are exodized. But the ten plagues, that's not the end of the rescue story, is it? It's not. After Israel left Egypt, Pharaoh changed his mind. He changed his mind about letting God's people go. 
and probably was thinking of a much grimmer outcome. And so he went after the people of Israel. And as God's people leave Egypt, they come to a point where Pharaoh's army is on one side and the Red Sea is on the other. They are seemingly at a dead end. Yet what happens? Through his servant Moses, Yahweh, and I'm not going to give credit to Moses, Yahweh parts the Red Sea with a wall of water on each side, right? It's not I'm, I'm tiptoeing through the, through the reeds and that kind of thing. It makes no sense for the rest of the narrative anyway with what happens to Pharaoh's army. Wall on each side and God's people pass through on dry land to the other side. You know what happens then after that. When Pharaoh tries to pursue them, the sea goes back as it was, destroying those who would destroy Israel, right? Destroying those who would destroy Israel. You have a similar exodus. I'm going to say something. I'm going to start talking about things that that maybe you don't think about and you think, well, there's no way. But this is how the Bible talks, okay? I'm just giving you what God's word says. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, who listened to Satan and followed Satan's word, Satan's directing, all of humanity has become slaves to the evil one's will and power. Naturally, his bidding. By nature, the Bible tells us that everyone despises and hides from God. By nature. By nature, we want to do, we don't want to do things God's way. We want to do it our way, right? Not God's way. It's disturbing to think about it, but what the Bible says is we're in league with Satan because of original sin. We're in league with someone to whom we are slaves, right? Just like Pharaoh didn't care a lick about the people of Egypt, uh, Satan cares nothing about you. We are slaves to one who seeks to destroy us and does not want to let God's people go. Does not. But in baptism, God takes you through your own Red Sea so that he might separate you from the enemies who would claim you. This is the Genesis 3.15 promise. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Separation, right? In your baptism, he wants to separate you from the enemies who would claim you. Baptism is part of your exodus. And you really see this in the, in the stages of the Reformation. There's a rite of Luther's, a baptism rite, that emphasizes this point. And it begins with a shocking address. To the one coming to the font. To the slave driver of the one coming to the font. You know how it begins? Depart. Unclean spirit. Make room for the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks this way. You might think, oh man, that's, I don't. The Bible talks this way. The whole scriptures speak of this. In your baptism, the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of His beloved Son. 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, God breaks the claim of your old master on you. Baptized into the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God now puts his name on you. See. And he puts his spirit in you. You are baptized into Christ. You are baptized into his death. You are baptized into his resurrection where once you were tied to Satan. Now God yokes you to his son. You belong to him. There, your old nature, your sinful self, your sins are drowned. The enemy's stranglehold on you is severed. And God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what a gift it is. God begins our faith by this glorious gift. That it's not by our own power or will that we believe. But it's the Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies us. For most of us, it is in baptism that this good work is begun in us. That God begins in us. In your baptism, you are exodized. Okay? Exodized. But your exodus, it's not over. You still have a long way to go. You probably remember that in Egypt, the people of Israel were slaves for Pharaoh. Slaves. Their labor was bitter. They bore heavy burdens. And they demanded to be freed. But after their freedom, there were times in their wanderings when things got a little bit hairy and difficult that they pined. For their slavery in Egypt. They pine for it. Oh, that we were back in slavery. It's much better than this. That's our problem, see? So what does God do? Well, God had already redeemed them, but he gives them the gift of his word. On Sinai. God spoke to Moses, who brings God's word to this people. God also provided for them the plans for the tabernacle where he promised that he would dwell with them, right, tangibly. And in these ways, a holy God was still with his sinful people as they traveled through the wilderness to the promised land. Right. This is your story, guys. This is your story. Put yourself in it. Your time in this world is just like Israel's time in the wilderness. It's full of grumbling. It's full of doubt. It's full of rebellion. It's full of hard hearts. It's full of detours. Of, uh, oh, God wants me to. God wants it for me this way. I'm going to do this way. God made this promise. I think this is a better offer over here. And we have to remember, we see, we see them do that in the Old Testament. We think, what a bunch of dopes. And we fall for the same thing. We fall for what the devil seeks to give it. Because the devil always thinks, he's, he's always trying to get us to believe that he's got something better for us. That he can offer you freedom. But what seems like freedom is only a return to the slavery of sin and death. So what does the father do? What does the father do about it? 
He sends his only son into our midst to give this the fullness of God's word, to strengthen us, to lead us right through this wilderness so that we don't take an improper detour. Our Lord has promised to stay and remain with his church to sustain his church through word and sacrament. We heard it in the transfiguration. Listen to him. Listen, please, please listen. And Jesus himself comes and dwells with us and we draw near to him, right? As you travel through the wilderness, you have someone there with you. And it ain't Moses. You have someone to lead you and guide you. I got some homework for you. I got some homework for you, okay? Seriously, I want you to do it, please. Okay, don't just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. I'm asking you. Go home and read Psalm 23 and think of it as your personal exodus. Put yourself into the Psalm, David's Psalm 23, and you'll get a pretty good picture of your exodus and what it looks like. But what I want to tell you today in a general way is you're not on your own to figure it out. You're not on your own to find your own way. You're not on your own to strengthen yourself. You're not. You get the idea. Christ has promised to be with his church and his people to the end of the age. That is when he comes again visibly. You don't have a Jesus who departs. See, that's the point. You don't have a Jesus who disappears. You don't have a Jesus who leaves you to fend for yourself. You don't have a Jesus who is going and is gone. And there's no way that he can come to us or we can get to him. There is no way that he can, we can get to him. But that leaves us on our own. That's why that word is so important, Exodus. Transfiguration gives us a glimpse of our Lord's glory, our Lord's light, our Lord's power. And it reminds us that as we go through the season of Lent, Lent isn't a farewell to Jesus. It's a reminder of how Jesus exodizes us, how he exodizes you. Now, Lent is, I'm going to just say it, it's pretty brutal. As we approach the season of Lent, we see and dwell on and think about our Lord and how he experienced the depths of human agony and cruelty for you and for me. That he experienced the depths of public shame and humiliation for you and for me. That he bore your burdens while wearing a crowd of thorns, while being struck and mocked, flogged and tortured, nailed and killed. That he faced abandonment from the Father for our sake. Wrath, separation, spiritual death on the cross. That all of the sins of the world were heaped upon him. And guys, with all, this, with all of the sins of the world heaped upon him, and all that death, and all that wrath, that's as dark as you can get. That's it. That's as dark as you can get. But it's no match 
for Christ's light. Nothing is. Nothing is. And so Moses and Elijah wrote about it. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. They wrote about that fact. And they got to talk to Jesus about it. Now we don't know exactly what was said. But we know that it was about an exodus. An exodus that leads to a final reality from which those in faith can never be exodized. A final reality in which those in faith can never be cast out. See? The Exodus story is your story. There is a promised land and it has nothing to do. If you take God out of the the promised land, it's not the promised land. No, your final place will be full fellowship with God, enduring life and an end to all your former dark masters. Now that's worth talking about. And that's worth hearing about. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.